Thank you, Sarah. Well, good morning. Welcome to South Street campus of Chapel Street Church on a snowy Sunday morning. And I have a confession to make. I think, um, I think our family might have caused it to snow. <laughs> All four boys were in town this week uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving with uh, three wives and three grandkids. And so we decided to have Thanksgiving on Thursday and our family Christmas yesterday. So I think we made it snow. So if you like snow, you're welcome. If you don't like snow, we apologize uh, for the snow. Uh, with regard to Christmas, we have several things to make you aware of uh, for the next couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, we want to help you, uh, wherever you live, whatever neighborhood you live in, to be a chapel on your street, as our church name suggests. So we've created a magazine uh, this year. The Advent magazine is called Neighbor Together at Christmas 2023. There's a whole bunch of them available out of the kiosk in the lobby. It's full of devotionals, uh, kids' activities, ways you can be a light on your street or in your uh, apartment complex or your neighborhood. So pick up your copy of the Advent magazine on the way out this morning. Again, right in the, in, in the kiosk, right outside the sanctuary. You can pick one up there. I hope you will do that. And then our Christmas concert is coming up December 9th and 10th. It's called Oh Praise His Name Forever. There are three presentations over that weekend. There's still a few tickets left, so if you are intending to go and haven't, you can probably uh, get online and pick one up today. And if you... Uh, miss that event or maybe uh, can't get out to Kessinger campus, we are planning another event, which we are announcing for the first time today, here at this campus on Sunday, December 17th, uh, a Christmas carol sing-along right here at, uh, at, at our Chapel Street, South Street campus sanctuary. Uh, it's at 3 in the afternoon on December 17th. You can begin thinking now about what kind of cookies you want to bring. Uh, bake your favorite cookies. I especially appreciate the little peanut butter ones with the kiss in the middle, so just put that in the back of your mind. But we're going to have some homemade cookies there, some hot chocolate for fellowship afterwards. So there'll be a bus that picks up from Homestead as well on that day. We'll announce more details about that event in the next few weeks we have to plan for that. So we look forward to that event as well. And then we want you to know that this Wednesday, uh, Wednesday of this week, we are decorating here at South Street in our sanctuary for Christmas. So if you have some time, especially guys, we need some men who can help lift and move some trees around. So 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Wednesday, we're going to decorate right here at the sanctuary. We hope that you can serve us and serve your South Street family by helping us uh, do that this Wednesday. So having said those things, would you please stand with me for the call to worship? Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Before we go to uh, prayer, the church family, I have some uh, sad news to bring to you. Uh, Gordon Schulenberg, longtime member of this church and a tender here at South Street, suffered a, a major brain aneurysm uh, this past Wednesday and then went to be with the Lord early Friday morning. Gordon's service is going to be at the Homestead on Saturday, this coming Saturday at 11.30 a.m. Pastor Jeff will do the service, and he has a visitation uh, on Friday evening at the Holtgren Funeral Home in Wheaton. That's from 4 to 7 p.m. Again, Gordon Schulenberg, um, you may, will 
know his wife, B. Please pray, be in prayer for B during these days. Um, and Jenny Caterer, who, his daughter, one of his children. And B will be living with Jenny for some time as they figure out uh, the future. Uh, but again, uh, his service is Saturday at the Homestead, 11.30 a.m., and then the visitation Friday evening, 4 to 7 p.m., at the Hultgren Funeral Home in Wheaton. I also got word just this morning that Betty Fernandez fell at home and broke her kneecap. Uh, she'll be homebound uh, in a brace for four to six weeks or so, so keep Betty in mind as well. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, you call us as your people, as your church, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so, for these few moments, that's what we do together. We think back to this past week, Thanksgiving week, when many of us were able to be with family, extended family, or dear friends, and we rejoice that we could spend that time together. We thank you for that and so many blessings in our lives. And yet, at the same time, we are aware of the grief that touches the Schulenberg family uh, today, an extremely difficult week that they've been through and the time that they will go through. So our hearts go out to them. We ask for your comfort uh, with each of, uh, to each of them. We thank you for Gordon's life, uh, his legacy of faith and faithfulness through his family and children and grandchildren. And we just ask that we would be able to walk with them and care for them uh, during these difficult days. Lord, we pray for Betty as well as she's re recovering at home from this accident she experienced. We pray for healing in her body and comfort for her heart and ask you to minister to Frank as well during these days. We continue to pray for Laura Chavez and Art Gustafson who are both um, recovering and need your ministry in their bodies and lives uh, of strengthening and health and healing. Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer. Now, sometimes we take for granted but we thank you for that you invite us to come to you through prayer with our joys and in our sorrows. And that both we lift up to you uh, this morning. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah and Hannah. And by the way, this is our last week in the James series, so the last time you have to watch those grinding gears as we start the service. Some of you probably brings flashback about days at work. But some years ago, a woman who was a member here at Chapel Street asked me if I'd be willing to talk to a friend of hers who was going through some personal issues. I said, sure I would. And so uh, we set up a time to meet. Uh, she did mention that her friend was from a Jewish background, but that she was willing to meet with uh, me as a pastor. As I recall, the woman was in her late 40s, early 50s, and was a professional lady, maybe a lawyer or a, um, an executive of some kind, and she was wanting to talk about some painful issue happening in her family or extended family. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was a child struggling or maybe something in her marriage, but it was painful for her, and she was reaching out for help. So we talked in my office uh, for an hour or so. Uh, I tried to listen and share whatever I could with her. Um, about the Lord and how he could bring um, goodness and healing and, and wisdom to her life. Uh, when it was time to wrap up the conversation, I asked her, would it be okay if I prayed 
with you. And she looked at me a little surprised, and she said, uh, yeah, that'd be fine. And so I bowed my head, and I prayed for this woman. And when I finished, I looked up, and I realized she was still staring at me, like it was the most interesting thing she had ever seen. And I realized in that moment that this woman from a Jewish background, in her late 40s, early 50s, had never in her whole life seen someone pray like that. And she'd never in her whole life been prayed for like that. It made me sad and glad all at the same time. I've never forgotten that, that particular conversation. Uh, we're in a series now wrapping up from James called Faith Works. And he's coming to the very end of his letter. And he concludes by focusing in on prayer, this gift of prayer. I'm going to read for you from James chapter 5, right at the end of his letter, verses 13 through 20. You can follow along in your Bible or look on the screen as I read. James wraps up his letter like this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now let me just comment then on those last two verses first. Uh, they're James' way of ensuring that all that he has shared in this letter um, extend far beyond just the reading of the letter. Uh, he's encouraging these Jewish background followers of Jesus who are facing trials and temptations uh, to continue to minister to each other by reminding each other of the truth that he has shared and by encouraging those, especially those who are struggling with their faith or with obedience. But before that, James mentions prayer. He mentions four specific kinds of prayer. And that's where I want to begin today. First, he mentions the prayer of trouble. The prayer of trouble. About a month after I graduated from high school, my family moved from the small town of New York where I grew up to Orlando, Florida, a place where I'd never been. So when school ended and I went home for the summer, I really didn't go home. I went to a brand new place, brand new house, and a, a state where I'd never really visited. And so naturally I wanted to make a visit back home uh, to the town where I grew up, but it was a thousand miles away from Orlando, Florida. And somehow I managed to convince my parents, and I was just 18 years old, almost 19, uh, I convinced them to let me drive the family car from Orlando to New York, which is about a 20-hour drive, and to take my two younger brothers with me. I mean, what could go wrong, right? Uh, the plan was to drive through the night from Florida to New York and get there sometime the next day. And things went fine, just humming along fine till about 2 in the morning when I was pulled over somewhere in Georgia doing 79 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. The officer who stopped me took one look at me and my two younger brothers who were sleeping in the back seat and told me I better follow him. And he led me in his squad car, lights going, all the way to the local small town sheriff's office, which reminded me exactly of the jail in the Andy Griffith show. 
I could, I could see the cell bars and everything. Uh, I was in Mayberry and I was in trouble. And the sheriff started off by saying something like, son, you're in a heap of trouble. He says, 79 and 55, that's about a $100 ticket right there. And I said, uh, well, he, he said, what in the world are you doing out at this time of night in that car? And I think he thought we had stolen the car and, going on, and I went for a joyride. So I told him it was my dad's car. We were going to New York to visit friends. And he said, well, now, let's just give your daddy a call. Two in the morning. He made me dial the number. My father answered. I could tell it woke him up. And I blurted out what had happened, and I waited for the, for the response. And he said calmly, are you and your brothers okay? I said, yeah, we are. He said, okay, son, give me the phone. So I gave him the phone, and all I could hear then was the sheriff's responding to what my dad had to say. And he was asking my dad a few questions, then I heard the sheriff go, yes, sir, yes, sir, that's right, $100. And then he said, yes, sir, and he hung up the phone. The sheriff gave me back my license, told us we were free to go, and all he said was, watch your speed, son. My father had acknowledged, evidently, that I had the car with his permission, and he had paid the fine himself using a credit card. And as I recall, he never brought it up again. I remember being both embarrassed and relieved um, at the same time. Mostly, I think, what I learned what it means to have a father who loved me, who was willing to pay for my transgression, and who was always willing to hear from me, even when I was in trouble. And that night, I learned a little something about prayer, too. James 5.13 says, if any, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Now, I think there are three ways, at least three ways we can pray when we find ourselves in trouble. First, there is the prayer, deliver me or help me. Psalm 59.1 says, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Psalm 70 says, hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Now, the prayer of trouble is probably the most common form of prayer across all lands and all peoples. This is what's called the foxhole prayer. It seems to me to be the human instinct to reach out in prayer and when we find ourselves in trouble. I saw a study recently that found that up to one quarter, one in four, people who call themselves atheists or agnostics pray during times of personal distress. One wonders how they address the God they don't believe in at that moment. But it's natural, it's human to pray. James is inviting us to pray this deliver me or help me kind of prayer. But secondly, he, the, the, the way we can pray in trouble is to pray, teach me. Whole different kind of prayer. That is to ask God to teach you something important through the difficult or painful circumstance of your life. This is actually how James begins his whole letter. If you remember back a couple of months ago, James chapter 1, he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this kind of prayer says, I'm going through something difficult, something I'd rather avoid, something I'd rather escape. I would love to be delivered from this, but I also trust that God can use even this circumstance to deepen my faith, to teach me perseverance, and to bring about my maturity. Now, this kind of prayer recognizes that God's presence and his purpose transcend whatever is our circumstance, transcend whatever is bringing us pain and discomfort, and can work through our troubles to produce maturity. But there's a third way we can pray. 
Uh, and this is to ask God to use us for his purposes in a situation. I think we see this kind of prayer sometimes in the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, this one particularly when he wrote from the prison cell in Rome, Philippians chapter 1. He writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is, arrested, beaten, thrown in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And by the way, we're going to study the prayers of the Apostle Paul coming later in January in a series that we're preparing right now. But Paul could have asked for God to deliver him from his circumstance, prison. And maybe he did in his private moments. But what we have here in Scripture is that he saw that God could use even that circumstance to advance the gospel. So he prays for boldness and he prays for faithfulness. And I've often seen this kind of prayer. When I visited folks, for example, in the hospital over the years, I call upon someone, I offer to pray for someone going through a very serious illness, and sometimes, instead, the sick person asks me not to pray so much for their healing physically, but to pray that they would have an opportunity to bear witness to Christ, to the doctors and nurses and the staff of the hospital. That's the kind of prayer that says, use me. In John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I think James knew and remembered those words of Jesus. And I think he wants his readers and he wants us to know that God is greater than our troubles and that prayer gives us access to God's presence, God's power, and God's help. And in that way, he overcomes the world. That's the first way to pray, prayer of trouble. The second way of, of prayer that James mentions, I call the prayer of joy. The prayer of joy. Years ago, I attended a pastor's conference with my brother, uh, Joe. Uh, I don't remember where it was, but one of the speakers, I do remember, he was an author that at the time we were both enjoying reading, and a guy named Walter Wangerin. Uh, he passed away just a couple of years ago. We had both read several of his books, wonderful, insightful, um, thoughtful Christian writer. And after his speaking session, where he focused uh, mostly, as I recall, on the intersection of faith and pain, uh, we managed to chase after him and catch up to him and get in the elevator with him as he was going up to his hotel room. Now, we only had a couple floors to go, so we, we needed to move fast to introduce ourselves, tell him that we both appreciated his books, mentioned a couple of them by name. And then my brother asked him, so, so what are you writing about next? And Mr. Wangerin thought for a moment, and then he said, well, I've written a lot about pain and sorrow, but I'd really like to write about joy but I don't think I'm old enough yet to really understand joy. Maybe someday, he said. Doors opened and he got out. We talked about that for a little bit. I've thought about it often since then. Joy. We all want joy. But what is it about joy that makes it sometimes seem so elusive for us? After all, Jesus said that joy was at the very heart of the gospel. In John 15, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. So why does joy sometimes seem elusive? Well, two reasons, I think. First, because we tend to look for it in the wrong places or the wrong ways. Our culture tells us to look for joy in things like wealth or accomplishment or entertainment and while those things can provide maybe a bit of fun, maybe some happiness, we don't, they don't lead us to the kind of joys Jesus is talking about. 
And that's because the Bible teaches that joy, the joy Jesus is talking about, is always a byproduct of something else, that you can't chase it directly. You can't reach out and grab it and try to own it. It comes as a byproduct of something else. Joy is always a byproduct of a relationship with God. It's the byproduct of faith, the byproduct of obedience, the byproduct of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the psalmist says. You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Peter himself says it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Second, I think we find joy elusive because we just miss it sometimes. We fail to recognize it or celebrate it when it does come our way. I saw some research recently that indicated that children, you know, think a child, you know, four years old and younger, that children laugh as many as 400 times a day. They laugh. We were around grandkids this week, and that, that's kind of true. They laugh a lot. When we're adults, that number drops from 400 times a day to something like 17 times a day. That kind of surprised me, because sometimes I don't think I laugh 17 times in a month, right? What happens to our capacity for laughter and joy as we grow older? Well, I think it leaks sometimes. Like the tire in my car that has a nail stuck in it and it slowly deflates over time and the little light comes on. I fill it up and it slowly leaks again. I think that's the, what, kind of the way our joy is. That our joy leaks slowly, imperceptibly through the little tiny holes and wounds that we receive throughout over, over time. And yet James says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Four short sentences. He covers the extremes of our human experience. On the one hand, trouble over here, and over here, joy. In both circumstances, we are to pray. In the one, we pray prayers of trouble. The other, we, pray, we, we sing songs of praise. And I don't know about you, but for me, prayer comes pretty easily and naturally during times of trouble. Something's not going right. There's some level of pain. That's the first thing I think about is pray. I need help. Help me. Deliver me. But when I experience the gift of joy, when the blessings of life are particularly sweet, and all is good in my world, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget to pray prayers of joy and praise. I wonder why. As I think about it, sometimes I think it's because I, I kind of like to take credit for my own joy. I like to think it's because of something I did, right? And earned in some way, like I deserve it. The truth is, James says, don't be deceived, James chapter 1. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So James is reminding us, teaching us to be people who pray, not just when we're in trouble, but people who pray prayers of praise when there are times of joy and to recognize the source of our joy and the reason for our joy is the Father who gives good gifts. Listen to the words of Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, our King. I believe that James is teaching us that the more we recognize 
God as the source of our joy, the more we offer our praise to him, the more joy we tend to find and experience, the less our joy tends to leak out over time. So that's the second way to pray, prayer of joy. Third way to pray, James mentions, is a prayer of healing. The prayer of healing. Some of you may remember this, but in the fall of 2009, my father suffered a major stroke, technically called a subarachnoid hemorrhage. The first doctor who examined him said uh, he had zero chance of meaningful life. It happened on a Sunday. Uh, my brother had called me. Um, so I took a shower that morning thinking about what I would say at his memorial service. A few minutes later, my brother called again and said a second doctor had revised the prognosis, looking at the x-rays and the pictures imaging, and said he really believed my father's condition could be reversed uh, with an appropriate surgical procedure. So we authorized the procedure, and we prayed. Within 24 hours, my father woke up from a coma, and a month later, he was back at work and playing golf. We praised God. Part of our family story. Less than a month later, a woman approached me after a service that was out at Kessinger campus and told me her father had experienced a very similar stroke, but that despite their desperate prayers for healing and recovery, her father never regained consciousness, and I lost him. I couldn't explain that to her. I couldn't claim understanding. I can't begin to estimate how many times I've had the privilege of praying with people who are struggling or sick. I've prayed in hospitals, I've prayed in homes, as many of you have. I've prayed for those who want to be restored to physical health. I've prayed for those who want to go home and be with the Lord. Some people I've prayed for have recovered completely. Some people I've prayed for have recovered for a time and then died. Some people have never, never got better at all and died. I have no idea how many people I've prayed with that God has chosen to heal in some way and no idea why sometimes it seems he has not chosen to heal. But I do know this. James has offered and invited us to pray for healing. He writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the oil here was not some magic thing. It was simply a symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, if you're tracking along with me, there are all kinds of questions to ask here, aren't there? Is James saying that every sick person will get well if we pray following his instructions? Is this a, a prayer formula that is followed in detail will result in physical healing every time? Is that what he's saying to us? And what about this relationship between sickness and sin? Is sickness always the result of sin? Those are good questions, hard questions. Now, one of the basic rules for interpreting any one passage of the Bible is to understand it in context of God's Word as a whole. We know, for example, that Jesus did not heal, physically speaking, every sick person he came into contact with. We know of one case, the healing of the pool of Bethesda, where he walked through an entire crowd of sick and infirm people and picked out one man, a paralytic, to heal and to forgive sins. He walked right by all the others. That's hard for us to explain. We also know that 
although every human life is created by God and is precious in his sight, the earth life pales in comparison to the eternal life for which we were all created. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1, for to me, for to, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In 2 Corinthians, he writes, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So I don't think James here is offering a guarantee of physical healing through prayer. But I think he is saying that prayer gives us access to the God who has both the authority and the power to heal the sick. Now, as the creator of all life, God can and does heal. Sometimes he heals through what we call natural causes. That is, he created the body to heal itself, to fight off disease. Sometimes he heals through medical sciences, which are also a gift from his hand. Sometimes he heals supernaturally, that is, in response to prayer that we do not fully comprehend from our human perspective, but we are invited to pray for that kind of healing. And sometimes the healing he brings is not physical, which is always temporary, but rather spiritual and eternal. Some of you remember Pastor Roger Kreitz. And Roger was, toward the end of his life, struggling with kidney failure, dialysis, and all that. People would ask him if they could pray for his healing, and he'd say, I've already been healed. He said, I just don't know, don't know it yet. And that's what he believed, and that's true. What about this relationship of sin and sickness? James says, seems to connect confession of sin with physical healing. Yet, if we look at Jesus' ministry, when people once ask him uh, about a man who was blind from birth, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither. It doesn't work that way. So James is not saying that all sickness is the result of sin, but that sometimes there's a connection between sin and sickness. And when that's the case... Confession is that which leads to healing. Now, there's a fourth way uh, to pray, and James talks about this, the prayer of confession. The prayer of confession. Uh, a few years ago, I met with a lady um, who did not attend Chapel Street, but who uh, came to me for some spiritual counsel. At a first meeting, she shared the main concern of her heart was a, her sister, who was struggling with a debilitating illness, she talked about the, she was the caregiver. She talked about the sadness and helplessness she felt as she watched her sister suffer. She couldn't do anything about it. And I just listened the best I could, and we prayed together. About a month or so later, she called again. And this time she shared that her sister had indeed died and that she was still struggling to understand why God had allowed such suffering. And at one point she said, I don't know how to pray. I don't know if I even want to pray, she said. Then I asked her if she felt more angry or sad about her sister's death. And she said, probably both. So I said, well, then pray what you feel. She said, what do you mean? And I quoted from Romans chapter 8, where Paul writes, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I just shared with her, sometimes there are no words for our prayers. I told her, told her that prayer is a relationship with God, and that all relationships begin with some degree of honesty, and that God already knows our hearts, and that when we share our hearts with Him, we are, in a sense, agreeing with Him that we want to live in an intimate relationship with Him. So confession 
is simply honesty with God. And James said confession is also honesty with others. Confession means being honest with God about our pain and our joy as well as our sin. So James here is pointing us to a miracle greater than physical healing. He connects it, but he says it's greater. You may remember a story in Mark chapter 2 when four men bring a paralyzed friend to Jesus. Remember, they drop him through the hole in the roof and, and, and hoping that Jesus will heal him. Jesus takes one look at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. It's kind of a crazy story. Those watching are confused and, so, and they're surprised. Some are offended that Jesus has the audacity to claim he can forgive sins. Others are a bit confused because the man clearly has a physical issue and Jesus doesn't seem, just seems to ignore it and talks about the man's spiritual condition. And then Jesus says something very important. He says in Mark 2, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. In short, in that story, Jesus performs two miracles. He heals a paralyzed man, miraculous, and he forgives a man's sins, thus healing his soul for eternity. Which is the greater miracle? Sometimes we forget that as important as physical health is, and we live in a culture that worships physical health, as important as it is, spiritual healing is far more important because it's permanent. I think this is what James is trying to teach us when he says, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't think he's saying that God will refuse to grant physical healing if we fail to confess our sins. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He's not saying that all sickness and disease is the result of sin. He is saying that while we can ask for physical healing, spiritual healing through the forgiveness of sin is far more important. And we are invited to pray for both. When I was in my mid-20s or so, before I was married, before I went to seminary, I was wrestling with a vocation. And some of you may remember this part of my story. I knew that at that time God had called me into ministry. I felt sure about a call, but I just didn't know what form it would take, how I would get there. I was working my way through graduate school and substitute teaching to pay the bills and so forth. I, I was doing everything I knew how to do. I had applied for admission to a top-notch seminary graduate school that I really felt God had led me to apply to. I believed that. Um, but I was not accepted into that program. So I felt rejected, not just by the school. I felt actually rejected by God himself. I felt, I felt kind of misled, kind of like he had bait and switched to me. So I was confused and I was frustrated. And in my frustration, I decided to, one night I was just going to duke it out with God. I was frustrated. I was going to pray that night until I had an answer. I wanted a clear answer. So I prayed in all the ways I knew how. I said all the right words. I beseeched. I asked him to shed light on his will for my life. I was fervent, but the best of my efforts, just nothing. I felt like my prayers were like bouncing off the ceiling. You ever experienced that? I feel like there's like a radar jamming device over all your prayers. And my frustration kind of boiled over. I'll tell you a tame version of this part of the story. I went out in a little, pat, little uh, porch kind of behind my apartment that's at night, late at night, maybe early in the morning. 
And I stood under the night sky, and I just, I just yelled at God. I yelled at him. I was frustrated. And I said things, shaking my fist at the heavens that one would never say to a holy God. I did. And when those words left my mouth, it was out loud. If you would have been standing out there, you would have heard me. I was embarrassed and devastated. And in that moment, I sensed somewhere in the part of me that sometimes listens to the Lord. I sensed that he chuckled. It's the only word I could put for it. He chuckled. It was as if he said, <laughs> okay, you, you have finally been honest with me. Now we can do business. I learned something really important that night. I learned that prayer is first and foremost honesty with God. I learned that God knows my heart, that I can't surprise him, that he can handle my anger, my frustration, my confusion, my immaturity, that he wants me to bring all of that to him, all of it. And looking back, I don't think I was ready for any kind of ministry that he was calling me to until I understood, until I screamed out my frustration at him and heard him speak back. So James says, are you in trouble? Are you happy? Are you sick? Have you sinned? Pray. Pray. Will you bow with me as we close? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for this ancient letter written, we believe, by your younger half-brother. A letter that speaks straight to our hearts. James pulls no punches. Thank you for the invitation that we read today to prayer. To come to you in our troubles, but also in our joys. In our sickness, in our pain, and in the honesty of confession. And Lord, by the work of your Spirit, may we be a people of faith. A faith that increasingly works. A faith that is genuine. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Just before the benediction, we remind you on your way out, pick up your Advent magazine from Chapel Street right out at the kiosk uh, as you leave the sanctuary and go through the lobby. And remember that on Wednesday at 1 o'clock, we'll be decorating here in the sanctuary. I'll come out and help us if you can. Receive the, today's benediction. It comes from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Have a great day.